Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today we will be reading Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 to 15 from the Good News Translation, today's English version. Beginning at verse 1. God said to Jacob, Go to Bethel at once and live there. Build an altar there to me, the God who appeared to you when you were running away from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family, and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods that you have, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothes. We are going to leave here and go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who helped me in the time of my trouble, and who has been with me everywhere I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and also the earrings that they were wearing. He buried them beneath the oak tree near Shechem. When Jacob and his sons started to leave, great fear fell on the people of the nearby towns, and they did not pursue them. Jacob came with all his people to Luz, which is now known as Bethel, in the land of Canaan. He built an altar there and named the place for the God of Bethel, because God had revealed himself to him there when he was running away from his brother. Rebekah's nurse Deborah died and was buried beneath the oak south of Bethel, so it was named Oak of Weeping. When Jacob returned from Mesopotamia, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but from now on it will be Israel. So God named him Israel. And God said to him, I am Almighty God, have many children, nations will be descended from you, and you will be the ancestor of kings. I will give you the land which I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, and I will also give it to your descendants after you. Then God left him. There, where God had spoken to him, Jacob set up a memorial stone and consecrated it by pouring wine and olive oil on it. He named the place Bethel. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. As we concluded our last podcast, Jacob was afraid that the peoples who lived near Shechem would be outraged that two of his sons had killed all the men of that city in retribution for the rape of their sister Dinah. In his distress, God met Jacob and directed him to go to Bethel and make his home there. Jacob decided to trust and follow the God of his ancestors. He also decided to forsake all of the false gods of the land of Canaan. He directed everyone in his family to surrender their idols, which he then buried beneath an oak tree. His family surrendered not only their idols, but also their earrings. The reason for this is highlighted in an Aramaic translation of this passage called the Jerusalem Targum, which reads, And they delivered into Jacob's hand all the idols of the people, which were in their hands, which they had taken from the temple of Shechem, and the jewels that had been in the ears of the inhabitants of the city of Shechem, in which was portrayed the likeness of their images. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth that was near the city of Shechem. Archaeological photographs of this type of earring can be found online. They consist of gold rings attached to a stone 
stamped or engraved with the image of a Canaanite god or goddess. Turning away from idol worship directly entailed forsaking this jewelry. The meaning of the passage taken in context is fairly straightforward. Unfortunately, this passage and others like it are often taken out of context by patriarchal theologians. Rather than recognizing that the earrings in question played a direct role in idol worship, some commentators have suggested that the passage prohibits women in general from adorning themselves with jewelry. Even worse than this are commentaries which suggest that the outward beauty of women will cause men to fall into sexual sin. Commentators who make such claims typically draw incorrect inferences from verses like Genesis 35.4, Isaiah 3.16, 1 Timothy 2.9, and 1 Peter 3 verses 3-4. We have already looked at the meaning of Genesis 35.4 in context, so we will turn our attention next to Isaiah 3.16. In the New International Version, this verse is incorrectly translated as follows. The Lord says, The women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along with swaying hips, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. This verse, as it is rendered in the New International Version, portrays God as rebuking the women of Zion for flirtation and seduction. Specifically, it mentions their flirting eyes and swaying hips. It is important to recognize that in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic manuscripts of this verse, there is no mention whatsoever of swaying hips. Furthermore, the word used in regard to the women's eyes did not specifically mean flirting. In the Greek Septuagint, the word used was viumasen. It means that the women were literally signaling something with their eyes. Exactly what they were signaling depends on the context in which the word is used. The same word was used, for example, to describe the entire range of actions performed by mimes who told stories without words. It was also specifically used by a Greek author named Achilles Tatius to describe a woman responding to a suitor, not with flirtation, but rather with indifference. In Hebrew, the root of the word is related to falsehood, and in lexical notes on the Aramaic Targum of Onkelos, the word used refers to an ancient form of mascara known as coal. Coal was used by the ancients to indicate or signal wealth and nobility, not flirtation. So what is God addressing in Isaiah 3.16? We need only look at the immediate preceding verses for our answer. In Isaiah 3 verses 12 to 15, God rebukes the leaders of Israel for being oppressive creditors who grind the face of the poor. Misappropriated wealth was then lavished on the women of Zion, who would parade themselves before others in a manner that drew attention to their status. They did not sway their hips, but rather walked with short, prancing steps that would cause their expensive anklets to jingle. They did not flirt with their eyes, but rather would wear an expensive form of mascara 
that was typically reserved for nobility. Women were drawing attention not to their sexuality, but rather to their wealth and status. Young's literal translation provides the following more accurate rendering of Isaiah 3.16 in English. Because that daughters of Zion have been haughty, and they walk stretching out the neck, and with deceiving eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and with their feet they make a tinkling. These women are rebuked for their pride and for drawing attention to their wealth. In response, God says in Isaiah 3, verses 20 and 22, that he will take away their costly apparel and also their amulets. In addition to drawing attention to their wealth, the items in question, like the earrings mentioned in Genesis 35, verse 4, were also associated with idol worship. In the New Testament, Similar passages are used by patriarchal preachers to tell women to cover up so that they will not cause men to stumble by falling into sexual sin. One of these passages is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, which reads as follows in Young's literal translation. In like manner, also the women, in becoming apparel, with modesty and sobriety, to adorn themselves not in braided hair, or gold or pearls, or garments of great price. Where in this passage does it suggest that these women are being flirtatious or seductive? Where does it say that their clothing or hairstyles will cause men to stumble? Nowhere. Many historians have pointed out that 1 Timothy was written to the church in Ephesus, famous for its temple to the goddess Artemis. Many of these historians have also pointed out that false teaching in the churches of Asia Minor, where Ephesus was located, blended the gospel with indigenous goddess mythology. The result of this blending, called syncretism, was a form of Gnostic asceticism that vilified the body and its passions. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul warns against false teachers who devoted themselves to myths. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul explains that these teachers forbade marriage, and told people that they must abstain from certain foods. These prohibitions were typical hallmarks of Gnostic asceticism in the early church. The assumption was that Christians had to remain single and celibate, and that they should avoid any foods that might stir the passions. In 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul makes reference to a woman engaged in prohibited teaching. It is very likely that this teaching was a form of Gnostic asceticism inspired by Ephesian goddess myths. This woman may have been a former priestess of the Temple of Artemis. According to classical historian Guy McLean Rogers, priestesses of Artemis were regarded as a noble class of citizen. They typically highlighted this status through outward displays of wealth. Such displays would certainly fit Paul's description of gold, pearls, and garments of great price. Far from being seductive, archaeologist Joan Breton Connolly points out that these women were required to be unmarried virgins. The priestesses of the goddess cult were also recognized as the holy mediators between human beings and the divine. In 1 Timothy 2.5, 
Paul points out that there is only one mediator between humanity and God, and that is Jesus Christ. In her doctoral dissertation on religious syncretism in Ephesus, Carla Ionescu highlights an ancient portrayal of Mary, the mother of Jesus, wearing gold cloth, embroidered with pearls, and wearing a tiara, much like the priestesses of the goddess Artemis. Also like the priestesses, Mary was described as a mediator between God and humanity. Borrowing from Ephesian goddess mythology, Mary was also depicted as a perpetual virgin, allegedly abstaining from sexual relations with her husband Joseph even after Jesus' birth. Does 1 Timothy 2.9 tell women to dress modestly so that men will not fall into sexual sin? No, it does nothing of the sort. It likely prohibits certain women in the church of Ephesus from costly displays of wealth and status that were typically associated with false teaching that was based on local goddess myths. This brings us to a similar passage in 1 Peter 3 verses 3 and 4 which reads as follows in the Berean Study Bible. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or gold jewelry or fine clothes, but from the inner disposition of your heart, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. Once again, this has nothing to do with seductive behavior. In fact, this passage addresses how Christian wives could relate to unbelieving husbands. It is about how to be a role model for their husbands so that they might come to faith in Christ. This is done not by focusing on outward adornment, hair, jewelry, or fine clothing, but rather by demonstrating Christ-like qualities, a spirit that is preos, gentle, and hesukyu, quiet. In Plato's Republic, a leader not wishing to be viewed as a tyrant is referred to as gentle, preos. In Herodotus' histories, the opposite of being hot-tempered was hesukyu, being quiet or at peace. Some patriarchal theologians have described these characteristics, gentleness and quietness, as being stereotypically feminine. In other words, they are something that God allegedly requires specifically of women. Patriarchal theology also suggests that these characteristics disqualify women from positions of leadership. In both Plato's Republic and Herodotus' histories, however, these characteristics were exemplified by men who were rulers or kings. Neither Genesis 35.4, Isaiah 3.16, 1 Timothy 2.9, nor 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, warn women to dress modestly so that they will not cause men to stumble. These verses also do not prohibit women from wearing makeup or jewelry. These concerns have been projected onto the Bible by patriarchal men, who were fearfully preoccupied with matters related to their own sexuality. In each of these Bible passages, God is actually addressing something else. In Genesis 35.4, jewelry associated with idol worship is forsaken by people choosing to trust and follow the God of Abraham. In Isaiah 3.16, God rebukes those who use misappropriated wealth 
to flaunt their social status. In 1 Timothy 2.9, the Bible warns against displays of wealth and status likely intended to legitimize false teaching. And in 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, wives are advised to be the role models for unbelieving husbands by demonstrating the qualities of humility and gentleness. Far from being characteristics that exclude women from leadership positions in the church, humility and gentleness are the very characteristics attributed to Christ in Matthew 11, verses 29 and 30. In this passage, Jesus says to everyone, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you, Lord, that as we study your word in its original languages and contexts, we truly see that you are good, gentle, and humble, and that you bring rest to our souls. Amen.